So, Berto, in a recent episode, we were talking about consciousness and free will versus determinism. And I think in that episode, you were like, well, Kirk, you have to watch this TV show called Devs. And when you said that, I was like, hmm, all right, well, I get recommended a lot of different TV shows to watch. I haven't heard anything about the show. I, have no, I know nothing about it. Well, I, I finished watching uh, Cobra Kai or whatever it was that I was binge watching with my wife before. And I thought, well, Berto's been asking me to watch Devs. Started watching this TV show and instantly realized why you're asking me to watch it because this TV show is directly down the middle of the middle of the middle of the lane discussing consciousness versus free will and quantum mechanics and just, you know, everything. And it's actually a pretty great show as well. And I'm surprised that I haven't even heard about it because I actually found it to be an amazing TV show. It came out early or, you know, in the spring of 2020. And right now it's late 2020. And so I watched it and thoroughly enjoyed it and thought, well, got to get Berto on the line and let's talk about the show because there's a lot to talk about in terms of psychology. What do you say, Berto? Yeah, except that uh, what I actually said is you should watch Debbie Does Dallas. I don't know where this devs thing came from. Oh, you must have glitched and I, I stopped it. <laughs> so it's a Hulu show rating, Berto. Let's start with that. Well, first off, let's introduce the podcast. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor, as I was always slated to be and always will be. Berto, who are you? My name is Umberto Casaña, and I distribute uh, used toilet paper. Rating out of 10, Berto, how many Bertos would you give it? Uh, yeah. I, I, do I use the same ratings for shows that I do for movies, or, or do we have two different rating systems? Well, every time you <laughs> spell it slightly differently, like there's a silent J in there or something. So this is, this is Bertos with the silent J after the E. Bertos with <laughs> after okay. the After the third E. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, no, I, I'm going to give it a nine. It, it was visually compelling, and it obviously asked some very, very important questions. There are some things that would normally bother me, but... And I have a lot of scientific nitpicks, uh, or actually some major things, but but I, I decided not to fault it. It's like faulting the movie Primer for time travel not being real. <laughs> yeah, I gave it a 10 out of 10. I thought it was an amazing show. Uh, I think I might have a slightly lower bar when it comes to TV shows than I do movies. Because for me to give a 10 out of 10 for a movie, of which I've probably only given that to, I don't know, 80 or so movies out of... 5,000 movies that I've seen or 10,000 movies that I have rated on IMDb. Um, I think for TV shows, I if it is a solid show, I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, man, like give me more of that me. stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I gave it 10 out of 10. I thought it was amazing. Rotten Tomatoes score with top critics, what percentage do you think gave Ooh. it a fresh score? Oh, 95%. 81%. Oh, really? Yeah, huh. it's a little lower Surprise. than I would have thought. Audience score, yeah. what do you think? Oh, actually, that's a good question because it is a little, it's a little thick. Um, it's not a feel-good show. I'm going to go 85 maybe. Pretty good, 76%, a little yeah. bit lower, but, you know, in the same ballpark. Yeah. So it's interesting that uh, I would have thought the nerds uh, who are, you know, uh, rating things on Rotten Tomatoes would have mm-hmm. geeked out on this thing, but... Uh, but 76, I mean, that's certainly pretty good. Um, all right. So before we get into the psychology and the philosophy, I just want to go over some of the things I liked about the show. And I think what spoiler you, alert. Yeah, this is where we're going to spoil the whole thing. And, and by the way, you really need to watch this show. 
It's something like eight episodes, 45 minutes an episode. It's pretty short. Uh, very simple story. It's not confusing. It's very you know linear and understandable. I mean, there's some science in there that's a little weird, but uh, it doesn't make it so that I would imagine you would not be able to watch. The one thing about this show that might be a little hard for people to watch is that it's it's the the style is slow and subdued. There's not mm-hmm. a lot of explosion. Or there's no explosions. There's no car chases. You know, they actually reference that in the in the show a little bit. But anyway, <laughs> but it makes the it makes the the hard moments or the you know the gripping moments more gripping. Yeah, and the tension is just amazing, yeah. and the down to earthness of this uh, fantastical you know TV show created by Alex Garland. Do you know what he also created? Uh, Ex Machina, which was a movie I really enjoyed as well. Right. He also created Annihilation a few oh, years right, ago. Oh, right, right, right. Which some people think is the greatest movie ever. Oh. And I, I would, liked it. I liked it too. I, I, I saw it in the th- if I saw it at home, like on a laptop, I probably would have been supremely annoyed with this movie. Oh, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Hold on. Because I always get these confu- conf- confused. There's one called The Arrival, right? Arrival is amazing. Arrival. And that one's amazing. Yeah. And then there's Annihilation, which is the one where they like, there's that little thing that they, once they go through, they don't know what happened yeah. to the other crews and blah, blah, blah. Right? Right. It, like, it's an invisible barrier thing. And I was super annoyed because I'm like, is this the, the amount of testing you're going to do? You're going to just send a whole crew. They went missing. You're going to send another crew. They, they go missing. You don't like send a rope in. You don't do anything. Like, you don't do any testing around the border of this thing. Right. I was like so annoyed about that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there were a lot of interesting things about the movie. Yeah, Annihilation with some tweaks, I think, could have been a, yeah. a really good movie. As it was, not only was that a problem, but also the ending was so indecipherable <laughs> that it, it – whereas Devs, it's not indecipherable. As Ex, right. Ex Machina, not indecipherable. Uh, he wrote and directed all three of those movies. He also wrote and directed – he was a ghost director on Dread, the movie, which is a very different movie. But if you, which is, I still haven't seen. It's so good, dude. You, you it's right I up know. your alley. You have to see it. It's it, it's like RoboCop, but right. more down to earth or better or something. I don't know. It, it's it's really good. It's just because I tried to watch the original and I didn't like it, and so well, the original. Gonna, you mean with Sylvester Stallone? Sylvester <laughs> Stallone. Yeah, it's a completely different uh, ball of wax. Yeah. Um, he also wrote before he started directing with Dread and Ex Machina. He wrote Twenty Eight Days Later, uh, Sunshine, which makes a lot of sense. Wait, he was the he wrote the story for Twenty Eight Days Later and Sunshine, which makes what? a lot of sense. Yeah. Oh. And he adapted the novel Never Let Me Go, which is an amazing mm. book, uh, one of the few fictional books I've actually read. And an amazing movie adaptation. I think – I'm guessing the movie is only good if you've read the book. Anyway. I haven't seen it. So Alex Garland is our – you know, he's my new Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> he's, <laughs> my, he, he's my new uh, director, writer, auteur that I am uh, on the edge of my seat for the next yeah, What else thing. is he going to do? Yeah, and I'm so glad that Devs was a TV show because this is his first TV show that he worked mm. on. Or at least that he wrote and directed entirely. His first, like, this is my creation sort of a thing. Right. And this this would have been terrible as an eighty minute or a you know hundred minute yeah. movie. You know, it would have been way too short. Right. So yep. 
Uh, I'm really looking forward to what Alex Garland decides to do next. Um, so what did you like about this thing? So first of all, I, I found it visually so fun to watch because it had like it had so many um, so many of these like nice long shots when they were in the machine in their scene, like the, the hallways and the magnets and the thing. But then even the scenes that weren't in the in the technology room, there was just something very similar to um, to the Ex Machina as well. They, just these like clean long shots that it sort of like accentuates the people in, in the middle of the situation. Uh, I really enjoyed that. There, there's something about that style that, that's really great. So visually, it was awesome. Yeah, I'm going to interrupt you because I'm realizing that some people like to listen to our podcast where we talk about things even though they haven't seen it because they don't care. Uh-huh. So I'll give a synopsis of the movie, yeah. which is that – and I want to actually go into some granularity because I think it actually helps to kind of review it. So we start off with a couple, a half-Asian woman, uh, American, and a Russian uh, you know, expat from Russia. And they are a couple. And they go into work at what looks to be kind of like a Google place, like a yeah. smallish Google in, in San Francisco, near San Francisco. And it just looks like a boring tech job and a couple that works at a boring tech place. And the guy is working on this – program or this thing that is uh, set up to predict uh, beha- uh, behavior in animals. So there's a nematode, uh, it's a little worm, little, you know, tiny little worm. And this Russian guy that lives in the United States has created a program that can predict the movement of the nematode with about 30 seconds into the future. It, it uses modeling of you know, t- uh, I don't even. Well, I don't know if they ex- he explained his technology exactly, but it, it, was, it was my understanding because I don't think, for example, I don't think that his model would have worked in a random uh, environment because my understanding is that they were modeling all the neural the neural neuronal activity of the nematode, meaning what the little muscle twitches were going to do. Um, but I I, fi- I felt like. If they if that thing had been like in the wild, like in a weird pond or something, like they couldn't predict everything because it'd be interacting with a whole bunch of other things. Okay, so that was the sense I got. Okay, so in a computer program, they managed, you know, through various different means to model neurons such that they could tell the random twitches of a worm uh, with about thirty seconds into the future, and then. He, he because he did so well, he gets pulled into this specialized program called Devs, which is a very secretive uh, you know, program that's going on in this company. And he goes in, and it's a quantum computer, and there's a lot of security. And he is caught filming uh, the code because it turns out he's a Russian spy, and they kill him. And the you know the the company security just kills him you know which is kind of interesting because normally you would go to the feds or the police or something but their on staff security person just just killed him and then and it's a brutal scene too yeah yeah he chokes him with a bag it's crazy yeah then we uh, pick up with his girlfriend and she is shown fake footage of the guy killing himself. But she doesn't really believe it. She's, I don't think he would have done that. So she goes on a, 
you know, a mystery case to figure it out. She figures out that she goes back to her ex-boyfriend. They sort of start investigating. They figure out that the video was tampered with and doctored. And now they're like, well, they must have killed him for some reason. We don't know why. Then he, she's contacted by the Russian uh, spy network and they, the spy tells her, your boyfriend who was murdered by devs and uh, he was a Russian spy. So he must have got caught somehow doing his job and they killed him. And so now the girl is like, oh, wait, my boyfriend was a spy and then he, he got caught spying and then they killed him. But, you know, so – it's not right that the Russians were doing bad things. It's not right right that devs killed my boyfriend. I'm, I'm still kind of upset about this. And uh, she uh, eventually tries to – I don't know. We, it's hard to know what her motivation exactly was. But it, I think she, she just wanted to know what was happening in devs. And I also think she wanted to get back at the people responsible for killing – uh, the boyfriend, and incidentally, her other boyfriend gets killed as well. So I yeah. think she, you know, she's just like, I want to take these people down. She's on a warpath. Yeah. And in the end, she gets into the secret bunker that has the devs project in there. And everyone in there is like, oh, well, we've foreseen this because our machine actually predicts the future. And the the developer of the machine is just like, well, yeah, we saw this happen. You come in here and you kill me. And and the guy is such a zealot to determinism and his machine that he's like, well, there's no point in fighting this murder. You know, the girlfriend Lily has come here. She's going to kill me. We've we've seen it. It's just going to happen. There's no use fighting it. And at the last minute, she. Uh, decides to make a choice that was different from what the computer was determining. And she threw the gun aside and didn't kill him. And then this other random employee decides to kill her and him (laughs) and the developer or the, the main owner of the, of the program. And then Lily and the devs developer are in a simulation and they get to live in um, paradise in the computer. So that's not really describing the whole thing, but I hope you get the idea. If, if you're one of those people that like to listen to the podcast and so there's a lot of computer sort of wizardry and the computer is something that can, long story short, predict the, the future by modeling the world. And, you know, in the same way that like a weather predictor, once they know all the different weather patterns and wind, blah, 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 and what the sun is going to be like. And they have a way of predicting the weather to, you know, the next day and or even to some extent a week later. But the further you go out into the future, it harder, the harder it is to model that because there's so much – there's so many variables that you can't measure because we just don't have that te- technology. Whereas this thing is so good, it can measure, you know, infinite into the future and infinite into the past, by the way, as well. So on the screen, they can look at the past. They can look at the future. And um, anyway, so what else did did you like about this uh, show? Um, I thought the audio, specifically the music choices, were really, really interesting and effective. Um, there was, for example, that one, uh, the episode where they start watching, they're watching the cave people um, 
probably a million years ago or something. Uh, and then the music that's playing is like these, it's these sounds like, you know, it's like someone doing these weird, yeah. like, just normal voice sounds. Yeah, I but agree. It's just so compelling. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. By the way, it was 35,000 years ago. Um, the, uh, the song choices were so interesting. I mean, they, they played like classic 60s stuff, like Crosby, Stills, yeah. and Nash, like, like deep cuts that I'd never heard that are just so Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And then yeah. modern songs that are made in very interesting ways, very soulful because you would think with a show like this, you would have music that was very industrial or scary or something. But, you know, they would have very touching songs and and human, modern, postmodern kind of punky songs. I mean, it was very effective song integration into a TV show. This reminded me of one big Black Mirror episode like on, yeah, on yeah. steroids. Like – Imagine the best Black Mirror episode you've ever seen and then expand that out to a full season. That That's what it felt yeah. like to me. Yep. Yeah, the look of it was awesome. It kind of reminded me a bit of David Fincher. Um, but, of yeah. course, Alex Garland has been developing his look through Dread, Ex Machina, Annihilation. But it seems like he definitely has graduated to a whole new level. I, I wonder if Devs is like him realizing his – Wes Anderson or his Martin Scorsese or his Quentin Tarantino or his Spike Lee yeah. genre. Like, I wonder if everything he makes from now on will always have weird songs that are just a, just that interesting kind of uh, song that doesn't fit but also does fit in a weird way, always at the beginning and then always at the end. <laughs> you know, I, I just wonder, long shots – uh, David Finch, like David, he 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 makes David Fincher look like a scrub in some ways. You know what I mean? Like his, <laughs> the way he colors things, the way he moves the camera, is is even better than David Fincher. You know, it's it's like the way Quentin Tarantino kind of took some of Martin Scorsese's techniques and like made it even better in some ways. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, I love those halos, and, and it made me want to have my own forest with those kinds <laughs> with of halos. Yeah, with those lights, the halo lights. Yeah. The forest itself was amazing. The, the machine, uh, which I've seen other quantum computers, and it quantum computers look like that, which is yep. uh, a great detail that they didn't have to do. The, uh, the sound design, just not only the music, but also the, the score, uh, you know, very – what's that guy? Is, it, is he Zimmer or what's a guy's name that does all the um, Nolan movies? You know, wah. Oh, I don't know that guy's name. Uh, but yeah, even even that sense. was was like even better than that. It was, yeah. it had a a quality to it that was I think taking that to the next level. Yeah, and making it actually in a way more subtle, but still very effective. Yeah, yeah. the editing was great. The mood it creates is great. Uh, but the main thing is that it's the writing. It's so smart. It might be the smartest movie or TV show to have ever explored these questions by far. And although my description, if you don't know, if you haven't watched the show, many TV shows and movies have explored these questions. You know, it has been explored a lot, these kinds of questions. But I cannot think of even a close second to, uh, and, and, you know, you might say Primer or, you know, other kinds well, of Primer's shows. Well, Primer is more like, like time travel, you know, but... 
but it's a similar thing of like, um, well, I guess it's not that similar. Um, but but I think in sp- specifically with respect to simulating a reality, but then not focusing so much on the simulation, but rather on the implications of being able to simulate a reality. I think this one definitely takes more depth on that area. Right. Like the Matrix explores these questions to some extent. Yeah. Uh, actually, quite quite a, a lot. lot. You know, yeah. oh, you you know, this is the seventh time yeah. uh, you've you've come here. The, yeah. the, you know, there's been seven the ones. I, I think it's just different focus, right? Because like the Matrix was all about the simulation itself and all the action that takes place there, and there was a little bit of that exploration. This show is all about that exploration and the you know sort of like I guess the the mystery aspect of this of this gal trying to figure out what the hell happened, but. Um, yeah, I mean, but, arguably, yeah. the the free will versus determinism is not the central feature. It, it's a it's an action movie. You know, it's a psychological thriller where you have a woman who's trying to survive or figure something out. Uh, a you know, film noir in a sense, I suppose. And the free will versus determinism, in the same way that uh, it's not the central plot of the Matrix. It's I don't think people would yeah. say it's the central plot of this, but. But I, I mean, can you think of a better, a smarter take on this question in a story form? Um, in movies and shows, maybe not. Like I said, I, I think that I, I, if I keep it narrowly to the question of free will versus determinism. Um, now, then again, I have, there's a lot of French movies. I'm sure I have not watched that might have tackled this. I mean, just like more mainstream. Um, because... I do think there's a lot of great movies that do tackle things like AI and computers and consciousness and time travel. Um, but this one specifically goes into this question of free will determinism. And, uh, and, it, and it like sort of, it, it bites it off in a very bold way and it says, I'm going to go through and not only superficially talk about it, but I'm going to see what the implications are. What happens if someone literally sees themselves doing something that they're supposed to be doing one second later, do they still do it? And they committed to that. You know, they're like, yep, yeah, we're going to show them still doing that. <laughs> you know, so uh, a lot of uh, things that have explored these questions, I think they, they don't go to that level of like, yep, we're going to go to that point and see what happens. Right. And we'll get into the specifics of those, uh, you know, questions and answers in a second. But just sticking to what I liked about the writing uh, or the, the, the TV show, um, Let's see. I felt like it was a pretty accurate depiction of what this world actually looks like. I mean, I've never worked in, in tech, but uh, I've worked near tech a lot. And uh, the way that this looked, the way that the buildings looked, the way, the way that the, the accoutrement looks, <laughs> you know, the, the little details of the logo in, in artistic places around the building – the way that the people looked with their sleek laptops and and uh, the variety of of diversity among the workers instead of instead of just like we're just all going to show a bunch of frumpy neckbeards, you know, it's like you know when you walk around these organizations, there's a there's a wide variety of diversity, you know, especially nowadays, anyways, <laughs> especially race wise, you know, yes, yeah. especially race wise, and so uh, it. It felt very much of that world. Uh, did you agree? Yeah, I, I do think. I mean, obviously, it was sort of a, um, a sedated 
version of it. Uh, maybe yeah. it's even more appropriate because it's in San Francisco. So th- that is sort of like the the detached vibe one might get there. Um, I think the Silicon Valley, the the TV show, <clears throat> actually does a really good job of capturing it in a almost more accurate way because there is the the silly aspects of the whole artif- artifice of these of these uh, places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah but it, it, of course, and and then. Even just the presentation, like when he's doing the presentation and the big VP comes in, you know, and we know who he's the owner, but it was, it was very much like, you know, okay, we're doing a presentation. The VP's coming in. We got to, oh, let's hope the demo works. And then the demo sort of works, but then there's a catch and then the VP seems upset. Like, well, that seems great. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but man, did I love the fact that this, that arguably the lead characters are Lily and Jamie, you could say uh-huh. Forrest and Katie are also leads as well. And so, Asian. <laughs> so two out of four leads are Asian-Americans. Um, and there were other non-white people in the show. When this show first began, we saw uh, – I thought the lead character was going to be the boyfriend, the Russian yeah, guy. Yeah, that was how they were showing it. Yeah. Right. And in I fact, thought, I, was, I was sort of um, a little disappointed as the first episode was going. I was thinking – Oh, okay. I guess he's the main guy. Although I really like, uh, I wanted to see more of the gal, but I guess she's the, the side story. Okay, yeah. that's fine. Yeah, they made it <laughs> seem like we might not ever see her again, honestly. Like they yeah. made it seem like she's, she's just there to fluff out this guy's character, that he yeah. has a girlfriend at home. We're never going to see her again. And then we have Katie, who is the whitest of white. And then we have Nick Offerman, right. who is, you know, I would say also uh, just a shade darker, <laughs> uh, a shade different of white than than the Katie actress. And I'm thinking, my God, Hollywood, are you effing kidding me? San Francisco, tech, I don't see a single Asian person. The only Asian person I see is a what looks to be like an East Indian person uh-huh. or maybe someone from Pakistan or something. And she is like oh, a... Oh, that girl, the, the friend. Yeah, she's like a distant, distant character. I, but I think I saw her walking around in the background. Anyway, the point is... is she, she, was, she was also in the, in the initial presentation. Oh, okay. So she was one of the people presenting. But she doesn't say much. Like, she's just there. Right. Yeah. So I just thought, my God, Hollywood. Like, how can you do that? I would get it if you were in Kansas and you were doing a, a movie about farming. Okay, fine. They're, they're all white. But you're in San Francisco. You're in tech. This is ridiculous. And then, you know, episode two or three, it takes this sharp turn. And I'm like, holy crap. We're Well, even at the, at the end of episode one, they, they kill him. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but then she ends up, uh, Lily ends up teaming up with yeah, ex-boyfriend, ex-boyfriend who's, yeah. who's full Asian American. Yeah. And I'm like oh, screaming, you know, and my wife, of course, <laughs> is like, oh, here he goes again, you know, and his <laughs> rant about Asians being in things. And look, you know, I'm not looking for just token representation. What I'm saying is be accurate. <laughs> You know, like a a movie about tech in San Francisco without at least one Asian American in the top four characters is just inaccurate. If you were going to make a movie about the Japanese parliament and all of them were white, that wouldn't make any sense, right? You'd be like, um, not a lot of sense. Or if you, or if we made a, a movie about the American Senate and all five people were black, you would say, well, that doesn't make any sense because yeah. even if there were flack, five flack, even if there flack. were five black senators, the chance that the story just happened to involve all five, you know, if we're just randomly sure. picking five senators, uh, there's going to be at least one or two white people in there. 
And so uh, it always it just okay. So I was so happy. I was so happy. But of course, their parents have to be immigrants. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, oh yeah, she, you're right. She her parents were still in Hong Kong, right? Well, her. I mean, she, I her mom they, was in Hong Kong. Yeah, they made it seem like she was fully. I don't know, but her. Yeah, one of her mother. You know, one maybe she's even person who came over. You know, as a child or something. Yeah. And then Jamie, uh, seemingly his parents lived in the States, but at the same time, it seemed like his parents also right. spoke uh, the the home language. I think it was well, Korean. Because Asians only came to the United States like a decade ago. So, right. Yeah. And, because me, I'm an Asian American. My Japanese ancestors came over 120 years ago. <laughs> My great-grandparents were farmers in Washington State. And so this notion that uh, – so we're, we're heading in the right direction. But anyway, um, the other great thing is a woman lead. You know, it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, Nick Offerman was amazing. I love him. He was I, great. I love Parks and Rec. Every Christmas uh, – I don't know if you ever arrive at the Christmas party early, but – uh, bef- you know, about a, an hour before the Christmas party begins, you know, the one that, that you, uh-huh. you come to, I sit down and I watch the Nick Offerman YouTube. It's a four hour video. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen, I've seen that on when I've arrived there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I sit down with a, with a glass of scotch and we both <laughs> stare at each other. So if you, if you don't know this, Nick <laughs> Offerman made this video where he drinks whiskey or scotch and he just stares into the I camera and there's a Christmas tree next to him, and and, uh, and so uh, it's just a part of my Christmas ritual now. But anyway, Nick Offerman is great, and in this, he I thought, oh, this is kind of a bit of stunt casting because you know he's a comedian, he's a goofball. Yeah. But I thought he ju- he showed his amazing. his acting chops. I mean, there were some moments there that you can't direct. You just have to let a genius yeah. actor like create something and I just thought he just just nailed it. It was so good. Yeah, he had this perfect combination of the sort of detached, selfish, billionaire tech guy, you know, and then moments of like true humanity and then also horrifying, terrifying moments where it's like he's kind of a monster. Yeah. yeah it was really it was really good. And as I was watching it, my interpretation was that uh, subtly, the you know Alex um, Garland was saying to us through Nick Offerman's character that once you can see the future, you don't care about your. You can live in the moment to some extent because the future has already been determined. So why get worked up about anything, even your own death, because it's just going to happen. <laughs> you know, anxiety is a motivator to, to change your circumstances so you can get to safety. A saber-toothed tiger is coming your way, you have fear, and, and that causes you to run away, right? Well, if you already know the saber-toothed tiger isn't going to get you or is going to get you, then there's no point in being afraid. It's just going to happen. And my interpretation was that the Nick Offerman, you know, the forest character, was so serene and in the moment and genuine and content because of that reason. Did you see that, Berto? I, it's interesting that you saw it that way. So I saw it a little differently because, first of all, I believe that Alex Garland 
nets out on there is free will <laughs> because that's what you know he, he threw out there. I know, but but Forrest's but, character believed. Right. But I actually saw Forrest's character as believing that he was going to paradise, <laughs> and that's why he was okay. Oh, and what's interesting is he had not seen that. Because they couldn't see that beyond the, the, the veil, so to speak. But he had set that up with Katie. He, he had said... Well, they don't know. You know. They didn't know what happened. I mean, they said, yeah, well, you should do this. But they didn't know what would happen because the machine failed after, after what's-her-name dies. Apparently, the machine fails, and they didn't know why. Yeah. And so they didn't know whether it was going to succeed. And, and frankly, if you follow the, the chronology, like they knew that she was going to die... Way, be- uh, not way before, but they knew that she was going to die a day before they had full fidelity video. They had just seen the grainy version. And meaning at that point, apparently they didn't know that they were going to have high fidelity video. They didn't know that what's a- the kid uh, was going to invent- uh, figure out a way to do it um, in high fidelity. And so uh, they hadn't yet seen all the other details, I guess. But then when they did figure out all the other details and they're like, okay, well, this is what's going to happen, all these things. You have to admit that at that point, it's only working because of the multiverse theory. So then by his own logic, he shouldn't have been sure about anything in the future because right. he didn't know really well, we'll what get into multiverse that. he was going to... Yeah, we'll get into that later. But from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, Forrest and Katie were convinced that there, it wasn't measuring a multiverse. It was measuring their universe. Uh, well, but the only way they got it to work was because she applied the, uh, <clears throat> the multiverse uh, logic Right. That the kid had done. And so he was sort of going along with it, but he was still holding out hope. And, and because the multiverse, as they were saying, it, it's all still predetermined. It's just that all paths that branch out are possible. Uh, but that's the part. So I actually, in other words, what I interpreted was that the reason he had peace is because he had faith that she was going to put him in the simulation. Oh, interesting. And that he was going to get to see his daughter again. Hmm. Interesting. Um, well, answer me this. If you believed that you had a machine that predicted the future and it had predicted the future pretty consistently, even when you tried to not have it predict, you know, that it would, if we had a machine like this, it would be so interesting to somehow uh, experiment with it where, you know, there are uh, two buttons in front of you, an A and a B. And you watch mm-hmm. in the screen, and it's like five seconds ahead, and you watch yourself hit A. Well, how hard would it be to just go, nope, B? <laughs> like, right. Like, uh, and would that, in fact, rewrite history such that you ended up hitting, you know, like it gets into this weird area. Um, it definitely creates a paradox because if, if it is deterministic, it means that whatever inputs go into your brain fully determine the output. So far, so good. But it doesn't. But if. That doesn't have the, f- I guess it would have to simulate itself pumping in the information into your head at the right, same time. Right, because as soon as you get, as soon as the inputs that go into your brain are you seeing the future, right, that's a new input into your brain. Now, if the system, let's say if the system had already calculated everything up till then, then theoretically you'd say, well, yeah, so it showed you what you were going to do after you knew that you were going to see the future. But the catch is that our brain, if all of a sudden... Uh, let's say you see your hand going like this in the camera, and then you're like, no, I'm going to go like this, but you still do this. That's going to feel different to you in your head, which then the question is, wait, so is that using the same deterministic uh, quantum processing that we normally do that, makes, that, that feels a certain way? Because if it is, why does it feel different that all of a sudden you did something different? 
And now, uh, what's his name? Forrest said, you know, even as I tell you this, and as I tell you all this stuff about the future, it doesn't feel like I am saying something that I've already seen. It feels right. like I'm saying it for the first time. So that was kind of their out. They were saying like, no, no, I know. I know it feels weird, but it works out. Like it, it feels real. <laughs> yeah. Which fine. It's kind of like that's, you got to kind of accept it, but. Right. For uh, the yeah. story, for the story. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But let's say that you could, and okay. you just, or you never really tested it in a sort of AB button way right. or whatever. And you saw that uh, you looked into the future. You saw the results of elections. You saw right. the results of the market going up and down. You saw people dying. You saw people being born. You saw you saw way into the future of like civilizations crumbling and and it was you know just everything was going to happen. You looked into the past and you just saw like this whole sea of birth and death and hopes and <laughs> dreams. And would you walk around with more contentment? That's a really good question. Huh. I guess it, I think it really depends on what it is you see. Because clearly, if I saw the trend going sort of in the positive direction, even if I saw terrible things, because we're aware that there's terrible things right now and there's been terrible things all throughout history. So certainly just by seeing terrible things alone, I wouldn't say, oh, we're all doomed. But if, if the trend felt towards the positive, like, yeah, more bad stuff's going to happen. But look at that. There's a good sign. Oh, they just signed that peace treaty. Oh, look at that. Uh, then I would definitely feel a sense of, wow, okay, I can calm down. I know that the future is sort of going to be in better hands. Even By the way, even if I so somehow saw my demise, like, and granted, that'd be hard to tackle with, uh, grapple with as a human stuff. But, uh, but I'm saying that in general, I would feel better about the prospects of humanity and nature if I saw that in, the trend was looking good. If, on the other hand, I saw the future and it was just like, saw, it looked worse and worse, I don't know what that would do to me. I think I might go into a pit of despair. Yeah, I think there'd be stages for me. I think there'd be a lot of despair because I think part of my happiness depends on the delusion that good things are going to happen in the future or at least bad things aren't going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for me to go through my day, I have to believe – like James Randi died today, for example. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. And – that's awful. And just imagine if I was to predict all the bad things that were going to happen over the next five years, you know, all yeah. the deaths, all the, you know, children being abused and, you know, just the, the war and the famine and the injustice yeah. and the global warming and earthquakes and tsunamis and uh, meteors or whatever. And to have that all condensed down into my brain in a particular moment, I think would cause a lot of emotional reaction. But I, I wonder if in the end, either through numbness or even transcendence would achieve forest level contentment of, well, it is what it is. And there's no use fighting it. And I know what's going to happen. And what are you going to do? Might as well, well just kind of chill and play Frisbee along the way. <laughs> let, let me ask you this question. So uh, do you feel, I think the answer is no, because we've sort of had a similar conversation before, but do you feel any of this depression or anxiety or whatever you want to call it about when you read historical tragedies, like things that happened 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago or something, like Pompeii, Vesuvius blew up? Uh, it depends. I mean, in a sense, it's in the past, so it doesn't affect me. But I, the way I think... 
I'm frequently thinking, well, something like this is, or an element of this is going to happen to me and people around mm-hmm. me. You know, I'm going to die. There's going to be other disasters. And so in a sense, uh, in a mini version, I've been having that forest stages of realization since I was 16. Since I was yeah. a teenager, I have been grappling with in, – in all of us, we have the ability to predict the future like this machine does, <laughs> yeah. that uh, earthquakes are going to happen, that forest yeah. fires are going to happen, that death is going to happen, that disease is going to happen. That Basically, we, have, we actually have the multiverse prediction capability because we can go like – all these possibilities. Right. <laughs> well, and uh, through general predictions, absolutely predict the future. There yeah. will be death. I will die. Yeah. You will die. One day there will be a computer that will simulate me and everything. Someone will just press a button, you know, thousands of years from now, and like all of us will be recreated in the computer just because someone just thought it'd be funny. You know, it's like some weird subreddit. It's just like we're, I'm going to create the universe and rec- or I'm going to recreate every human being that ever existed, especially those people we have a lot of data data on. And there's a lot of data on these two yahoos that talked into the microphone for 40 years. You know. You so, know what? What if? What if it's not possible though? Because um, what if? What if it is one of these incountable problems that you can you can only simulate by going through all the steps? So you can't like um, you can't simulate a moment in time without having gotten there through all the steps. Well, eventually you're going to have a computer. Not ten years into the future, by the way, but at some point in some unnamed future point, there's going to be a computer that will be able to simulate pockets of the known universe. It, there's no way to simulate the, unless it has some kind of duplication thing, but uh, to simulate the entire universe, you would need a computer the size and energy of the entire universe. So that's that's not going to happen. But but is there not, a not point? Not the size necessarily, but certainly a lot of the a lot of the energy. Yeah. Because you would have to You'd have to recreate uh, you, every single element, including, you know, quarks that are spinning up and down. That's right. Uh, but but you could compress it a lot more than the space taken up right now. I mean, you could make you could cut corners the way a yeah. picture will, you know. But that's not actually, you know. There, oh yeah, yeah, no, I, I I get you. I I just mean that the the universe is pretty spread out. Like you could you don't have to take up the same amount of space. Yeah. Right. But. But the point is absolutely It'd be large and it would <laughs> and yeah. it just by that you can only fit so much data right. uh, at a you know at a certain level. Anyway, the point is is that uh in the future uh it, as long as we don't kill ourselves or burn our planet to a crisp, uh absolutely humans will be able to create a a computer. It'll be something way beyond quantum computing in all likelihood that will be able to simulate the world such that it will be able to predict things uh, you know, certain things to a certain, um, you know, level uh, be- by s- sort of, you know, like, for example, let's say that, um, you know, in, you know, 40, 100,000 years, there's someone that invents a computer and, and it can calculate as many things. You, your algorithms are really good. The, prob- the, the interesting thing at that point is the computer and the algorithms are probably being created by computers. And humans are probably just saying like, hey, computer, could you make this thing for me? Because I don't even know how to frame the question in a way that would really get to what (laughs) the problem is, you know, because humans are just limited. But anyway, you get a machine to make it and 
it is able to uh, uh, simulate on a quantum level every single human and every single thing in a human's environment, meaning that uh, like a mile down on the earth and say two miles up and uh, in terms of the atmosphere or, or maybe all the atmosphere of the earth. Uh, you can't go beyond that. You can't go to like other planets or um, you know other civilizations you haven't seen yet or anything like the way that this show seemed to be is impl- you know implying that you could you could extrapolate yeah. to the entire universe forwards and backwards, which makes no sense. But I mean, immediately someone should have been like, "By the way, this is just a guess, right?" But anyway, um, but yeah, in the future, will someone be able to make a computer like that? Absolutely. It's just a matter of measurement. And calculation, and presumably in the future they'll refine those abilities. Um, I so normally I'm very uh, gung ho about conversations like this, but I'm sort of more pessimistic about that prospect. Whereas I am very optimistic about simulating, you know, like a practical simulation of a human being, uh, because of all the cut corners that you can take and all the approximations you can make that still leave you with the essence of what a human is. Totally. You but, don't, you don't yeah. need to know the quantum level of a human to be able to predict their behavior. You need to uh, – or you only need to make some guesses about the overall effect of quantum fluctuations in a brain to predict behavior. Eventually, you're going, going to be – eventually – let me put it this way. Eventually, you're going to be able to – monitor enough brains in the same way that we were able to sequence our genome, which seemed very difficult. It takes a lot of time. Eventually, we're going to be able to sequence an individual brain, meaning we're going to be able to know what the brain is doing at any given moment and actually model that in a computer. And you do that enough times with enough different people and you have enough algorithms and computers that you know figure things out about computers. Eventually, they're going to be able to model human impulse, and then you're going to extrapolate from that to the human body, and then you're yeah. going to extrapolate from that from like two humans that are now being in the simulation and they're interacting and they're having conversations. Yeah, and it's just a matter of time. It's a long time in the future, but well, uh, and there's there's happen. other limitations, right? There, there's energy limitations. The components required to build computers limitations, right? And um, and like in the case of the show, uh, their methodology uh, seemed impossible because they were they were saying that they would start from um, a particle, and that they would extrapolate all the particles around that and all the interactions around that by measuring what was affecting the particle. Um, but if relativity is correct, which it seems to be correct, you can't know all the forces that are actually acting on that particle because the frame of reference is your local frame of reference. So I don't think that's actually possible. Not to mention, like, none of the sensors that we have today could possibly measure all, you know, just with, like, some sensors in the room, even with uh, fMRI or whatever. Like, you can't know all, all the micro, strong, weak, electromagnetic, gravitational forces affecting each little particle to then be able to extrapolate everything around it and then ex- extrapolate the whole earth and everything. Yeah. Like that just wouldn't work. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the premise of the technology was for, you know, Alex Garland, uh, give, to give him credit, 
was as good as you could possibly get it. <laughs> oh yeah, in our to, in today's parlance, or yep. what we could imagine to actually be to, and it's possible, you know, one day that maybe they can do that, but but it's and not it's, likely. It's based on right, and like a lot of these things, it's based on some real things. For example, uh, with with quantum computers, they've been able to model some aspects of of simple molecules like hydrogen and. Uh, I forget the other one they did, uh, to more accuracy. In fact, complete accuracy uh, in terms of uh, number of digits, if you will, than you could with a normal computer. But, but the caveats are like, first of all, that's one molecule. Second, when we say model it, this isn't like a 3D model that can then interact. No, 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 no. It's like in a very, very, very narrow definition of what we mean by modeling it. And this takes the highest end possible quantum computing today which is like on the order of like 70 qubits or something. There's a D-Wave thing called, that, called D-Wave that has like 5,000 qubits, but it's not, it's not the same kind of quantum computing. And uh, for being able to do what they were doing this show, he was saying, when he asked, how many qubits does this machine have? Uh, the guy said, Forrest said, oh, it's a number that if I told you, it wouldn't even make sense as a number. Right. Okay, so that, that's like a long time from now. Right. A long time from now. Yeah. But still, to your point... And that because you, you could do the same thing with Primer, you could do the same thing with the the Ex Machina or any of these movies. If you want to just like not agree with the premise, then you're not going to enjoy the the show, right? Yeah. But I, but I thought that uh, of you know when I watch maybe there's like a a sort of gauge from one to ten in yeah. terms of like oh come on, <laughs> you know how many oh come ons are there? How many times do I think or say oh come on in a movie? Right. In this movie, I I don't know if I ever said it, um, except well, no. There was one time I said it, which was because I went with them on the the initial run of the machine where they're measuring that room with the table and those things, yep. and I was like, oh, interesting. So yeah. they have these sensors that are measuring uh, parts, and it and then by measuring those parts and figuring out what other things are affecting those parts they you know and you could make an argument that quantum entanglement and measuring things you know there's you know there's a sort of a possibility theoretically of of being able to measure one uh quantum particle and you can measure another one and if you could measure a few of them very well you could sort of exponentially i don't know anyway i don't know enough to know anything about sure that, but. but but let's say let's say we first of all like i said already you kind of have to suspend disbelief a little bit and i think where you're getting at is what the movie primer did so well in my mind is it didn't do the normal time travel thing which is let's go back to 1962 no no, no. you could go back like a day two days maybe three days, and every time you went back it would take you that long in that stupid storage container right. in real time to get back. So like th there were some almost like very realistic limits to it, even though the technology is not real. Yeah. So the, you, you're, what you're getting at, I like, because imagine if they have the tech and they can extrapolate, they show us, and it does let them see like a little bit into the future, maybe a little bit into the past. You can still have all the free will conversations and all that stuff. But as soon as they're showing us 100% fidelity yeah. of a billion years ago. Yeah, right. So that's when I was like, I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily, you know, a billion years ago, that wasn't bothering me so much. Because actually, I don't know, but I suspect that when you look at macro things like plate tectonics and, and Earth, if you could somehow measure all that, which... But you, remember, they're not. Yeah, they're right. not. But if they, they did... They don't have logic right. for how anything works. They're right. only extrapolating from 
force, you know, from yeah. from physical forces. But but anyway, my point yeah, is, but, is that I know your that point. my my big oh come on moment was that when they were extrapolating to the entire universe. That that was when. And I guess it was when they went far back in time. It wasn't at that scene, though. Anyway, my point was that yeah. it's it's something to be able to predict what's going on in San Francisco in a few days. Like, that's one level of – it's a high, 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 high level of difficulty. But it's a whole other thing to expand to literally every, uh, you know, quark – that exists in the entire, you know, known galaxy and universe. That is, um, I remember, like, oh, like you didn't have to go there. They, they, they wanted to make it transcend some threshold of like it's way beyond our way. And I'm like, you didn't have to go there. Like that, you know. I was with you. You know, I was along. I was willing to go along with Red. The other thing that I that they could have done, which I don't know why shows don't do this. Some sometimes they do. Is they could have given some they could have given some indication that this was thousands of years in the future. They could have said something along those lines. Now, of course, that brings problems of like, well, how does how do we predict fashion <laughs> thousands sure. of years from now? Language, but, but this seemed like today. Like right. this could happen maybe in five years, whatever. Right. Alex Garland said ten years from now, which okay. is essentially today in terms of yeah. like our technology. Well, even yeah, because even though, of course, computer quantum computers are going to go exponentially, is what I was telling you. Uh, and, and by the way, like so, uh, the math with quantum computers is very promising in that when you have, uh, let's say, what they say, let's say a hundred qubits, with a hundred qubits, you can represent two to the hundred normal bits. That's ridiculous. That that's huge, right? Right. But but there's a couple catches here. Uh, because uh, qubits are very unstable, you have to have a huge amount of redundancy. So I was hearing a lecture the other day. The dude was saying that to actually have like, you know, a few hundred useful qubits, you would need millions of qubits because you, you would need all this redundancy and you would need a whole bunch of control, uh, control qubits and a whole bunch of other stuff. So it's not, and w- right now our, our top of the line stuff is like, like I said, like se- 70 qubits or something like that. So you need millions of qubits to be doing just stuff to do like um, nothing anywhere near this, but stuff to do like really good molecular interaction, all these kind of things. Yeah. But for my oh, come on-ness, to think at some point in some future 10, 50 years from now. They could have just done 50 years. That would have been okay. Yeah, right. Um, Yeah. But I, I, I got to emphasize, though, like, this ultimately, the show was so good in every other regard. This is what I, at the beginning I was saying. Like, there's a lot of things scientifically that I could sit there and nerd out about or nerd rage about. Um, but the, the show was so good in every other regard that I just kept giving it, like, free passes. Like, yep, yeah. I'll just go with you with this. <laughs> All right. Uh, a couple more things before we go to break. I loved it when Lily and Jamie just went to Forrest's house. Yeah. After they're like, should we run? Are we? Are they going to kill us? What's going to happen? And they're just like, well, what? We're going to be able to outrun them, and are the, maybe the feds are? You know, who knows? We're not going to be able to evade them, and so like, screw it. We're just we know where Forrest lives. We'll just go to his house, <laughs> and they just went to the house. And I, I, you know, there's so many times in movies or stories that I think, why doesn't the character at least consider that? 
Why yeah. don't at least they can, you know, because that's what I would do. That's well, that's just, what James Bond does every time. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's my style is, is to say like, oh, you know what? If I can just talk to them, maybe yeah. there's something we can work out here. I'm not, you know, right. I'll just level with them. Say, look, I'm not a threat. You don't have to chase me anymore. You know, it's, it's yeah. like the, the thing of like, if you run from a lion, they think you're prey. And if you just walk yeah. up to them, you know. Um, the last thing here is that uh, they had a massive Jesus metaphor, right? <laughs> and it got progressively more noticeable as the show went on. In the beginning, I was like, oh, the halo. I, I see what they're doing there. Yeah. You know, it, was, it was kind of overt, but you know, a little bit subtle. And they got real obvious toward the end. But I didn't mind it uh, because the way the story was laid out, it made sense. Like I, yeah. it earned it. It earned yeah. it because the premises at some, you know it because as I was watching the show, I was in, infusing in my you know my body and my mind this notion of like at some point something like this is going to happen in some some manifestation. It won't look like that, obviously, but it'll be a question that humans have to wrestle with. Yeah, this notion that one. Uh, that there will be that first person that dies and gets recreated in it perfectly, perfectly in a simulation. Well, that is in a sense resurrection. And we we at some point that will happen, and so that is very much earning of the Jesus metaphor in that sense. You also have the uh, uh, storyline of that Lily quite clearly doesn't mind sacrificing herself for the greater good. She right. she wants to take this down and she could have ran at that moment but she's like no, you know. The 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 other Russian spy is like you got to run. You know, you go yeah. to China, it's you, there's a you won't be extradited. There's there's no way out of this. You got a body, you got two bodies and you can't get rid of them. You can just yeah. deny it. And so you got to get out. And she says, "Nope." I'm going straight into the belly of the beast, and if I die, which is probably going to happen, then so be it. I don't care. And so she said, and but she was like, I, I want to discover. And then, yeah. and then the other thing was like, she discovered truth that, or she discovered knowledge and options, which is an yeah. Adam and Eve story, which they also said as well. Like, I was waiting for someone to talk about how like. Eden has now been destroyed, or maybe Eden is now created because right. the the first Eve destroyed Eden by uh, exercising free will. By exercising free will, and the second Eve brought us a, a fake human created version of Eden that we don't need God because she exercised free will. Right, and so I thought all of that was totally earned. And if you've never seen this show, I'm sure you're rolling your eyes because you're like, how can that possibly be earned? But I felt like it was. Did you think that? Yeah, I didn't. It didn't mind me. I, in general, I'm rarely bothered by Jesus. Like even in the Matrix, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. It's just like a cheap way in many times. It's a cheap way to be like, hey, get it. There's like a savior here. But um, in this case, I guess maybe because they made it so obvious. It's the same reason why I wasn't. Not only was I not bothered in the movie Mother by all the symbolism, I was like, no, of course the symbolism is here and obvious because the whole thing is a retelling of the story. So, like, stop it. In this case, I was like, well, yeah. Like, the only, the only question is, I was, 
Although I, I guess in the part of the story where, where uh, at the very beginning, first episode, Forrest tells the, the Russian guy, what, what's his uh, name? The, uh, si- um, the act, uh, not the actor, but the, uh, anyways. One of those uh, the, classic names from Russia. You know? Yeah. He tells him the universe is deterministic. There is no God. And at that moment, and then much later in the episodes, I was like, yeah, you are, how do you know that? Because, like, not only, not only would a deterministic universe actually maybe say, well, maybe there is a God, because he's supposed to know everything. This would be a great way to know everything, right? But the other one was that um, you're already making assumptions about what you meant and what other people meant by God in the first place. And then when you get to the part where they're showing Jesus on the cross, you got to wonder, at that moment, are they going like, well, wait a minute, maybe there is a God. Yeah. So, like, not not that seeing someone across would mean that. It's just, I found it interesting that he had concluded so surely. Now, I think in character, I think you could say, well, he was so heartbroken about his daughter that he must have just like there can't be a god, you know, that kind of thing. So fine. Um, but yeah, it's I I thought that that was uh, not just that it was well earned. It it definitely didn't bother me. It was it was fine. I thought, yeah. All right. Well, let's take a break. We get back. Let's conclude about some of the various philosophical things I got into. What do you say, Berto? Let's do it. All right, we're back from the break, Berto. So if Forrest were to be in a tech meeting of some kind and someone was giving a presentation on some new thing that they were doing and, and he liked a little bit of it, but he also didn't like some of it, and he also and he wanted to communicate that, but he also wanted to convince this programmer to become a patron of the podcast. What would that sound like? Let, let me stop you there. What you're saying right now sounds good. I'm sure it sounds good to these folk here, but you're wrong. Not only are you wrong, you're dead wrong. <laughs> Everything you're doing right now is going to lead us down a path where our our core psychology will break down. And you don't know that, but I do. And there's only one way out, and I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen that you do it. You go to Psychology in Seattle, and then you go to Patreon, and then you become a patron. You do it! Because you have to! Stay on the rails. (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, Let's talk about the ending a little bit more detail here just looking at my notes so as we uh me and my wife we watched this over seven days watched episode one you know one night and then episode two next night but then episode seven and eight i had to watch because i together i I just had to find out what happened (laughs) and each episode you know each week i was like man how are they going to end this thing and i'm sort of thinking into the future and i'm thinking Oh, is, you know, because shows like this, it's so hard to end. It's so, yeah. you know, psychological. It's purgatory. <laughs> yeah. Rom-coms, easy to end. The the couple goes off into the sunset. It's totally satisfying. Uh, war Unless mov- it's when, how I met your mother. <laughs> yeah. War, war movies, totally easy to end. Everyone dies. Uh, or the hero gets the, you know, the award. Horror right. movies, totally easy. Everyone dies. Maybe one person <laughs> gets away. But these kinds of stories, how do you end them? Because right. it's so, you know, uh, intellectual or I don't know how to describe it, but, you know, the, especially free will versus determinism, 
how do you answer that question satisfactorily in the ending? You know, you could cop out and just be like, I don't answer it. Like in um, <laughs> in uh, Inception, when you see the top, uh, I thought that was pretty good because it's just yeah. like, you never know. Yeah. Or in Sopranos, where you don't know. There's there's no way to know. I mean, you could have your ideas that you can be very firm on. And then uh, Chase can come out and ruin it all for everyone and but just it, tell but us. But in either case, whether or not you're right, you're wrong, he comes out or not, the ending leaves possibilities. <laughs> right. But in this one, I, I, I didn't want that to happen. I, I wanted it to yeah. come out and say something about something. And, right. and so I was worried about it being cheesy. I was worried that they were going to have like shoot-ups. I, I, I was sure that she was going to blow up the quantum computer. She was going to like shoot the quantum computer with her gun and the computer's going to blow up. Like I, in my head, I was like, oh, it's it. Cause you always have to end it in the same way that Charlie Kaufman in adaptation, when his idiot brother is telling him, look, you got to have a chase. You got to have gun. <laughs> and then eventually Charlie Kaufman, the brilliant, has a chase. he, he has a chase. He has, he gets rid of the voiceover and you know, even the best, Act, you know, the best writers will be like, look, humans are humans. You, you need the you need the shoot 'em ups, you know, <laughs> and um, and I was so satisfied with how it ended. I I just thought, I there's there's hardly any cheese in that at all. You could argue that her free will was a little bit of cheese, but but let's get into that, Berto. Yeah, what happened there? Did there's so many different possibilities? Is that evidence yeah. that we have free will? You know, so there, I thought of a few things. One is, it, the machine could be wrong. Right. <laughs> it's just a machine. Right. That's one thing. Uh, the other thing is, I mean, they did tell us that something glitches at that moment after they see her die, and they don't know what it is. So it could be that uh, what had been deterministic up until that point in our observable bubble of reality isn't the true nature of things. It's just that no one had had the capacity because most things just follow normal biological processes. But it turns out there's something special about consciousness and it takes a person with just the blah, 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 blah. And so in that moment, she became the first organism to break with what could have been calculated. That could be it. Uh, <clears throat> the or other the, one or is the that first organism to have broken from the model from the four days that they were able yeah, to fair resolve it to the level that convinced them that the, that the model was exactly right. But the one that I thought, like my, my choice, and I, this is one of the things that bugged me a little bit. I was like, but wait a minute. You just told us that it's a multiverse. Like this is the only way this is working at this high fidelity is because the kid was like, yeah, this is a multiverse. So when they talk about the pilot wave theory, that's that, you know, you can model all of reality as if there were these waves that it's not nothing we're aware of, but it's waves that essentially carry all the little particles around. And if you calculate it that way, it's perfectly deterministic. Well, the multi-universe thing, the multi, uh, what is it, multi, multiverse, <laughs> yeah, it, at any moment that any reaction is supposed to happen, all the possible outcomes of that reaction do happen. They just happen in parallel. Well... If that's the case, of course she can throw the gun away. She can also try to throw a gun, gun away, and it goes off on accident and shoots her in the head. In theory, any any path can can develop from there. So I wasn't like from that perspective. I'm like, yeah, of course. Like the thing you saw was one possibility, but this is like a different possibility. And at the end, they're aware of this because they say, "Remember, this is the multiverse." So when I put you in the thing, 
you, you know. And in fact, they make they make a point of it. It's like, well, in this reality, we're happy, but there's all these other realities that who knows what the deal is. Yeah. So that's my interpretation. It's like it was just one of the possibilities. Yeah, when she threw the gun, I thought, oh no, it's going to be a cheesy thing where the gun goes off and actually does shoot him. You know? <laughs> just like those horror movies where yeah. they say, uh, "Final like, Destination." Yeah, I was like, I was like, Ugh. but and it's it's and that's based on just bad writing. But two, that there's this belief that if you drop a gun, it discharges, which is just like it can in some rare circumstances, but every movie it happens. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't, doesn't you, you know, it would be a v- terrible design if yeah. you had a gun that, that just was waiting to discharge. If it, if yeah. it was jolted, you know, police officer right. gets pushed or hit, you know, <laughs> boom. <laughs> yeah. Every time a, 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 a police officer gets in a car accident, all the guns in the, car discharge you know it's like come on um so yeah i was so glad when that didn't happen but um but before we go into the multiverse thing berto why did that guy turn off the elevator and kill them both so that's a good question i I felt like that needed more of a build-up i mean there was an explanation right in the end I, i mean i don't know that there was like i'll tell you my take on it he was so upset that they killed his buddy that he was like, this machine doesn't belong in this world. I mean, he had already said it. Like, we've created Oh, I didn't a, know that you know. the buddy was, uh, that he knew the be- buddy was dead. Did he know that? Maybe he did know that because he looked into the future or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's right. Yes. Oh. I forgot. Yes, that's exactly it. And, and he was already, as you know, he was quoting like Yeats and a whole bunch of other stuff. And he was like, yeah, we've created... A bad situation here so that said oh and by the way apparently when i didn't go back and watch but apparently when you watch the scene that they watch where it's the future he's still touching the panel when the thing falls so it's arguable that the thing fell in both cases for the same reason mm. rather than her doing the shooting like we, we were meant to believe that when she shot um it's like the window breaks and then that destabilizes everything and blah blah but but in both cases, he was like by the panel. So it's it's possible that in both cases, it's him that causes the mm. the thing to collapse. But clearly, in one universe, she shoots him, and another, she doesn't. And by the way, when when you and I go ahead and design our quantum computer <laughs> building and stuff like that, <laughs> yeah. can we make it so that you can't punch in like essentially a self destruct sequence into the little elevator controls? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of problems with that. Um, one, w- why have you know, so they said that there's a Faraday cage and you know lead shielding and uh, and a vacuum, so that no, essentially it's security guards, so that no one can hack into it. You know, you can't just that and the and the way the quantum chips work is that if you have like lots of particles from outer space hitting them and radiation hitting right. them, it de- they decohere and you can't do the calculations. Right. So, um, all right, that makes sense good design why would the vacuum have to be lit uh and why would you light the vacuum in this swirly way like that there's 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 no it looks awesome yeah but it was i mean i guess you can make an argument they're like look we just wanted to wanted it to look cool all right yeah Um, i mean we're already wasting how much money in electricity every second can you imagine how much it it would cost to maintain that thing floating in magnets yeah (laughs) <laughs> so yeah. you know you're already in for a penny <laughs> right and then and then i'm also thinking okay uh 
it's a it's a near perfect vacuum in that in that space. Right. Your door game would have to be a lot better than just yeah. sliding glass doors. That you're like, uh, yeah. have you ever seen a you know a vacuum seal or or a deep sea diver with just right. just glass doors? Like that was harder to believe than the yeah. quantum computer thing for me. Yeah. Again, like you know, these are just little things of you know. If I was nitpicking, looked great. I I thought that it was also a little crazy that. This is a super secret facility. No one can know what goes on in devs. But you, from the outside, you can see the quantum machine in there. <laughs> so at the very least, you would know, oh, I think they're doing quantum computing in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get to some of the things I didn't like also. There's, there's a few other little nitpicks. But like I said, uh, 10 out of 10, love the show. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, let's talk about free will versus determinism, Birdo. Is there a special spirit outside the material world that gives us the ability to make choices? I don't believe that. It, okay, yeah. Uh, well, it's not a matter of belief for me. It's because I, I don't um, believe in things. I look for evidence, and there's no evidence that we have a special spirit out, outside of our material world. I, I, by the way, I was just making fun of you. I, I, yeah. I know that you but I mean, I mean, what I mean is like, Based essentially the same thing. It's like it's. I've never seen any evidence or data to indicate that that might be the case. Right. So the notion that our ability to make choices, i.e., free will, emerges from the material world, and is a no-brainer, if you will. And if you were somehow able to model in a computer your brain, you were somehow able like. If you were somehow able to measure your brain over the span of – because to measure your brain in a fixed point would not tell you much. You would need to see how it responds. And so if you were able to measure a brain – like I remember hearing one futurist talk about how one day you'll be able to potentially have nano computers or nano nano measuring devices that you inject into your brain and for every neuron – there's a nano device that is measuring what that neuron is doing uh, throughout its you know, cellular process or something. And then you have a computer on the outside that actually just like measures what each nanoparticle is, you know, which each nano measuring device is doing at any given moment. So you have this, every neuron is being measured, this computer is mo- monitoring it on a you know, granular microsecond scale, and you are... Uh, going through the world, and eventually the computer just you know figures out all that data. It already basically knows how the brain works in general anyway uh, in terms of global things, but now it knows how your brain works in particular. And maybe it also has some way of figuring out like stimulation and what it's being stimulated by anyway. Uh, can that computer be able to completely recreate your mind? Yes, of course, because th- that's you know that's just how things work. There's nothing beyond the, if you were somehow able to measure um, everything about a human being and everything about their, their immediate environment, then yeah, you're able to predict their behavior. Right, Bruno? I, I mean, in, in theory, yes. I, like the, the problem is that uh, you, first of all, you have things changing constantly. Now the, the changes we experience second to second, day by day are maybe not significant enough, certainly for any macro behaviors that we might want to simulate and things like that. 
but if you were trying to like simulate every single reaction in every single one of your nerve cells, you would also be ne- needing to like anything that's like malfunctioning, anything that's dying, anything that's getting blocked by something. Like all those things would have to get simulated. Yeah. Um, well, so so let's say you were able, you know you're able to model diet and measure. You know, it would take something that is fantastical, but conceivable in the future. Uh, so in that way, um, they'd yeah. be able to they'd be able to predict your behavior. You know, if they're somehow yeah, I, able to predict everything you were coming in contact with. I, again, I I am a full believer that. Uh, at a at a reasonable level of detail, we will be able to fairly soon simulate human behaviors and reactions and specific humans if we had enough data about them and things like that. I do believe that. I just don't – I'm not convinced that we'll be able to do it in any reasonable amount of time uh, via simulating all the interactions at a quantum and up level, you know, yeah, yeah, or yeah. at least at a chemical level and stuff like that. So I, I, I agree with you, but – uh, with some differences, which is I don't think in the near future we're going to see anything close to something that it will pass my version of the Turing test, by the way, which other people have sort of other versions of the Turing test. But um, So I don't think I'm going to see that in my lifetime in all likelihood. We don't know. And, I mean, and that's, turn- that's, where, that's where I disagree because I think that, first of all, I, think, I personally think that the Turing test is – it's limited in what it could tell us because I do th- look, first of all, you are more discerning than more than half the population already. I believe that, that within like, if we actually put all the, all the effort required behind it, uh, you put, uh, enough computing resources and, and smart people behind it. We could build a bot at the very least, a chat bot that could fool 50% of the population that it's a human. I, I fully believe that. Uh, but that's that's right now, and that's not even necessarily using. But ML. that, but to me, a chatbot is a. F- that's not how I define the Turing test. Uh, something that it, it basically it narrows human responses down to a chat response. You know, yeah. uh, for a computer to figure out how to say LOL or how are you doing, or that but sounds that's interesting. That yeah, sounds interesting to me. About. Well, I mean, I, I'm breaking it anyway. My point is, yeah. is that I. On the on the time scale, I I think we're further out in the future for uh, you know human simulation that tricks humans, but I think far in the future, you know, thousands of years from now, we absolutely, if as long as we don't burn our planet to a crisp and we don't kill ourselves, uh, we'll be able to do this. Um, you know, we'll be able to simulate. Uh, with we'll be able to measure one and two simulate humans and their environments to such an extent that you'll be able to predict their behavior um, with some accuracy. You know, it, it, yeah. it'd be hard to do it complete, obviously. But so I think you, you may be right. Like I'm definitely not going to say no. I don't think you're right. Like that may that may very well come to pass. Assuming we do com- continue evolving, uh, I, I was I was going to point out though that as of now we already have <laughs> Russian bots and other countries bots. Absolutely passing a version of the Turing test online right. with that, people that, fully that's not, 100% believing these are real people. Yeah, that's not my version of the Turing test, though. Right. It's, it's a weak version, and it, it's a narrow version. Like, you could argue that the, the magic eight ball is passing, like, a very low bar of a Turing test. But that's an extreme, right? Because like, you can I'm, ask I'm a question, and it gives you an answer. Whoa! It's like, um, that's, not, that's not, in my mind, right. tricking humans 
that well, but uh, but know. while you're being while you're being while you're holding a, a line that you're trying to define clearer and clearer in the meantime things are going to ke- keep getting more and more uncanny totally to a point where you're going to have to look and be like uh I don't know. I guess maybe I guess that's sort of passing the test. Well, I don't know. I don't know what my threshold will be eventually in terms of uh, like what and I don't know uh, what my sort of hang up is. I I just find that when I first maybe it's this is that when I first heard about the Turing test, Mm -hmm. the vision I had in my mind or the vision that was told to me was essentially like data on Star Trek Next Generation. It was, you know, yeah. data with a with an emotion chip in, yeah. what was that, Insurrection or whatever that movie was, um, where you, if if he had better makeup <laughs> and um, was allowed to use contractions or whatever it was, um, he would, he could trick, especially, yeah. you know, if he, uh, if you weren't that close to him or, you know, you just thought, well, he's a little bit of a quirky dude. He would trick that. That's what I had in my mind of yeah. the Turing test. Apparently, other people interpreted it very differently in terms of like well, a chatbot being able to, you know, have a five-minute conversation with you, such that you're not sure if it's human or computer, or you're pretty sure it's a human because it feels like, whoa, that sounds like a computer would be able to respond that way. To me. That's not just when I heard the Turing test. That's not what I heard. Uh, I mean, it was originally like literally like someone would type responses in one terminal and receive them in the other. Term. That's but, what it was. Yeah, I mean, that's think of it. That's the technology they had at the time. They certainly would. He wouldn't have said, "Look, we can't say we have a sentient program until you have a full Android that looks like a human." You know, like that wouldn't have been the because all he was trying to do is say like, "What could pa- like what would we call like an intelligent program?" You know. And I guess if, if you couldn't tell as a human on, on one side of the room that you're chatting, that you're texting with, with another human, meaning that it was indistinguishable, then I guess we, we got to call it intelligent. And there was like this big debate about, well, but that could be like a Chinese room thing, which is like this mental experiment where you have a, an enclosed room and you put in Chinese messages in through a little hole. Now, inside the room, you don't know what happens, but out pops out a Chinese answer. And you're like, oh, this room understands Chinese. But inside the room is a human with like dictionary, Chinese dictionaries. And all he's doing is like looking up what you're saying and like writing out. He has no idea what, what any of this means. Uh, sorry, it's not even a dictionary. It's just a transla- like a, a translator thing. He has no idea what it means. He's just popping in, putting in the answer and sending it out. And the, the whole idea there, the, the mental exercise was, well, just because you can simulate something, does that mean that inside that simulation is exactly the same as the experience we have? Like consciousness, but, essentially. Right. But, but some people, I don't remember what Turing said on that, but some people were like, it doesn't matter. If it quacks like a duck, it quacks like a duck. And that's all we need. And so that was one of the debates. And so the Turing test was just one kind of another mental so, exercise. Of, so the original Turing test was a chatbot, essentially. <laughs> yeah, on a ter- like on a computer terminal, obviously. Oh, interesting. Text. <laughs> so I, somewhere down the, the line, I either forgot that or it was told to me wrong or something because it turns out all the chatbot Turing people are, are the accurate Turing test people. I, I just want to call another test. I want to... <laughs> yeah, I wanna... and that's fair. And, and that's what people have done. There's, there's certainly the spirit of what that test means, and you're not wrong. Just because you can fool someone into seeing a, a, a political post, that's not a human being anywhere near, right? Like, so you're it's, not It's along the way. It's, it's, it's on the yeah. spectrum. But to me, it's like, 
if I was to put that on the spectrum from you know <laughs> fifty years ago to data, I would put us I would put us at like point zero zero one percent there. But what if you could do a video call? Like let's say right now we were in this video call, and all of a sudden, unbeknownst to you, like I glitch, and then the real me pops into the view, and like you're talking to a fake video. It's not an Android or anything. It's just a yeah. fake video. Yeah, it's I'd an be, AI there. That'd be that'd be way beyond the Turing my Turing. Right. That'd, so you'd be like, okay, that passed the Turing. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should call it. What's Turing in Advancer in in in, in reverse? Gingret. That passes my Gingret test. Um, so. Uh, <laughs> So, Berto, um, you, what you're saying is that, yeah, the multiverse thing, you know, Linden's, uh, uh, you know, proposition. And, yeah, it, it really – so I just love nerding out on these kinds of things because the, the mini-universe theory is something that we just don't know about. It's just a mathematical thing. It explains a lot of things that we observe on the quantum level that don't make a lot of sense. Yeah, um, what, what's – Sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm not going to go into the details on that because, um, as the saying goes, if you think you understand quantum <laughs> physics, you don't. you don't understand quantum physics. Yeah. Um, so it, uh, I'm not going to go into details on that. But, um, but which do you believe in the many universe theory or or not? Uh, I don't. I don't because I. It doesn't. It's like unnecessary to me. Like first of all, the whole premise of what was observed with the double slit experiment is that uh w so like the weird thing we see is oh wait a minute it seems like observations affect the outcome at a at a very very tiny level at, when you're looking at these quantum levels it seems like if we observe things it actually affects the outcome hmm, that's really bizarre and then there's many interpretations for that right but at at a fundamental level there there seems to be the property that things can be in either states, like they can be in multiple states, and that it's not, we're, we can't be sure which state it is until we make a measurement. And so from there comes this idea that there's percentages, percentage probabilities. And all our modern science, all our computer devices, all the things we rely on, use that, that idea or like that science, and it seems to work. It like seems to work for all our daily lives. Uh, whatever the actual explanation of it is, independent of that, it's just that the science, the math seems to work. So from that perspective, this idea that there's percentage probabilities for all these little quantum particle interactions, when as soon as you say multiverse, multiverse implies that everything that could happen ends up happening. But then, then what was the meaning of the probabilities in the first place? If everything that can happen can happen, that's 100% for every one of those outcomes. So then those probability uh, things that all this math that works out be based on that assumption, that was meaningless. Or what did it apply to? Mm. And so, I don't know. For, from my perspective, I, I'm more like a fan of the, the Einstein holding out hope for hidden variables thing, which was he, Einstein still believed that it wasn't uh, random. Like, so, so God doesn't play dice with the universe. Yeah, yeah. Like his whole thing was, look, we are not sure what's happening. That much is clear. But just because we think we can't measure it and all these things, like, I don't think that's the end of the story. There must be more to the story. That yeah. Was well, and of so course. I kind of hold out hope for that. Yeah. And, and it is an emotional thing. You know, you say hope. That's, you know, attached yeah. to like some kind of emotion. And I used to be like you as well. Um, not that I'm 
smarter or something. But I, I've just been convinced by the experts of the mini-universe theory. Uh, not that we know it to be true. You know, We just need to continue with our experiments and maybe we'll never be able to measure it because of the nature of you know our instruments exist in this universe and so to how do you create an instrument that can you know span different universes it's maybe it's not possible so there's uh there's that but yeah i used to be in your when i first heard of the many universe theory i thought like oh come on like either one you you're just a new age weirdo or two you're using math and defining the observable universe to your equations, which, you know, has its limitations. Okay. It works out mathematically. You know, I remember the first time hearing about this, they're like, mathematically, there's 19 dimensions or something. And I was like, what? Anyway, but I, I have come to be convinced by the experts of the many universe theory because of the way in which quantum particles behave and, and the way that they actually do measure them. I'm not going to be able to explain it, but the way it's explained to me, it makes sense to me. And the how it applies to this TV show is that um, you have uh, – now, what a lot of people will interpret from the mini-universe theory is because we're narcissistic, we always break it down to our choices. You mean there's another me that decided to – you know, take that other job. You know, I was offered two jobs and you mean there's another universe where I chose that other job or there's another universe where I did marry my high school sweetheart? Like, whoa, it's like, well, I guess. But really, the the many universe theory has to do with quantum fluctuation and with wave functions that collapse to a measurable point when you measure it. And so the idea goes is that uh, when there are probable locations or probable outcomes on the quantum level, because uh, that's what they observe, they're like, well, we we can predict there's a probability and the physics seems to exhibit a probabilistic reality. It seems like physics is probabilistic, you know. Um, am I saying this right, Berto? You are saying that right. But that that, that is my challenge is that the probabilities apparently fade away as soon as the multiverse manifests itself because everything that could have happened in that, in that quantum interaction ended up happening right. in a different but, timeline or whatever. And, and, and so from when, you, when we look at that, sort of the first layer, and this is often how it's explained, is like we don't know where the universe – we don't know where that particle is until we observe it. But another way of explaining it that I've heard from people that makes so much more sense to me is, no, the particle doesn't cohere into a spot when you measure it. When you measure it, you have now realized what universe you're in. (laughs) You're in the universe where the particle existed there. So before you measured it, you you didn't know what universe you were in. You, You were in a universe where, you know, Essentially, the question that you're asking is like, well, here's the probability curve, three-dimensional probability curve of what universe we're in. We're in the universe where the, where the particle was there or the particle was there. And then when you measure it, you actually go, oh, we're in the universe. We were always in the universe where the particle was there. Interesting. There- Let me ask you a question, though, Kirk. 
What universe are you in when you didn't measure the particle and you saw you the You were in the same scatter. universe. You were no, in no, no. S- and, you, and you saw the scattering on the, on the other side. Well, you're seeing an interaction between the universes to some extent because the uh, – well, again, I'm s- stepping off the cliff in, at this point. I don't know, I guess, is the answer to the question. <laughs> What's it, your it, answer yeah. to the question? Well, I mean, that is the explanation is that when we don't measure it or when we let the things accumulate, that is because all the universes are, in fact, uh, interfering with each other. Right. And so, fine. So, I mean, that is one interpretation, right? It's just that it does call into question, like, what did it mean to say that there were different probabilities? Because everything that could have happened, happened. And so, like, the probabilities, like, does, there's not a good explanation for what the probabilities meant, or at least I'm not aware of it, you know, that... Maybe there is, but like that, that part's weird. The other thing that, that, it, that I find interesting is that um, the measurement is like a little hand wavy in the sense. And like, you know, when we measure these, these systems, um, it is introducing in- input into the whole system. Um, and then generally what happens is that uh, that is kind of assumed to be independent of the result, but... I don't know. Like, to me, it's like, well, but when you are measuring it, like, you are introducing something else into the system. <laughs> well, well, one, yeah, yeah. But the new age interpretation is you can make your universe whatever you want it to, whatever you want it to be, <laughs> you know, is often the thing. Or mm-hmm. um, you get to create your own universe because there's multiple, you know, there's all these kinds of interpretation. <laughs> right, right. And it's like, well, there's two problems. One is, is that on the macro scale, it all kind of averages out. <laughs> you know, you have all these probabilities happening literally, mm-hmm. you know, it's essentially an infinite amount of time, not infinite, but a very large number of times happening in your own body. You have a lot of yeah. um, isotopes in your body that are decaying. You have a lot of electrons in your body that are doing all these kinds of things. You have a lot of quarks that are doing things. And uh, there are all sorts of weird quantum things happening in your body right now. But on a macro scale, you don't see that because everything averages out. Your hand doesn't just disappear and like appear on the other side of the wall uh, the way a electron can disappear and appear somewhere else. Like that can happen on that scale. But when you average everything out, but to the new age people, they're like, you mean I can just like appear on the other side of the wall? Because that's often how it's explained. You know, whenever the astrophysicist like uh, uh, my Japanese brother yeah. um, uh, what's his face I can't remember his name Michu I can't remember his full name oh yeah, yeah Michu Okaku I, th- or I can't remember yeah. his full yeah the way he explains things he wants you to be mesmerized by his talk and the way that people like him will explain things is they'll be like you could just disappear and appear on the other side of the wall it's like no you can't <laughs> like well actually that, so that, that's a great point and more to the, more, even further with that. So we know what happens when you don't in, directly try to measure which slot, slit the thing goes through. What happens is we don't end up seeing the net result of which one it went through. It, it appeared to go through both and interfere with, with each other like waves. That's, that's what we know that that's what happens. So it, uh, another way to think about it is that if we aren't trying to measure it, everything actually goes along like waves. So... That would be another reason to say, like, no, no, there isn't a multiverse. Everything goes along like waves. Yeah. You know, so, like, because uh, apparently if we didn't try to measure it, we see a pattern on the thing that's everything. So why would we expect that in the, when we're not measuring, that we, we wouldn't see the same thing? 
I don't know if I'm making sense right now, but yeah. And it's like, funny, you know, I, I'm just trying to think who would be interested in hearing us talk about this this long. And, <laughs> you know, if you know anything about this, you're probably throwing your phone at the wall. And if you don't know anything about this, you're probably like, I do not care. But to, to just conclude on this topic and the TV show, I thought that it interwove all of that stuff just so brilliantly because yeah. that scene when they're at the lecture hall and that one professor is talking about the different <laughs> theories yeah. of of quantum physics and you know many universe and all those kinds of things and um i was like yelling at the professor of just like no <laughs> <laughs> and then and then out loud i'm like uh many universe and then katie says many universe theory and i'm like i'm like whoa and stacy's looking at me like guy you're a nerd you know <laughs> And uh, in that way, and then they interwove something that a very small percentage of nerds care about into a story that I just thought, and they didn't overexplain it. You know, they didn't go into it. They just sure. was like, they just re- referenced it and moved on. Yeah. You know, there wasn't that scene where the, phys- the physicist is on the uh, blackboard, like explaining something in like a way that no one will understand. And uh, I just thought that that, that was that was really cool and totally applicable. When Lyndon is like, "There's too much interference. We can't seem to resolve anything. You know, it's it's all mm-hmm. fuzzy. We can make out kind. You know, we think we see Jesus on the cross, but you know, there's too much variance there." And then they're like, "Lyndon's like, I figured it out. Once you lock in, uh, you know, a certain I don't know how he he did it, but." Right. Hand wave, hand wave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he, hand wave, hand wave. I locked in a certain universe. Yeah. Then I can see everything perfectly. Yeah. And and I was like, yay. And then they fire him. But but again, that folds in Forrest's grief because Forrest is like, no, I did not design this. Yeah. Pro- this I did not you know spend all my money and time and effort into this project to have it predict in the past and the future one of the billions and billions of universes, I need it to uh, uh, show us the universe. Yeah. And the rest of them are looking at him like, dude, you're crazy. That doesn't exist. You know, Katie, Lyndon, the other guy, they're like, yeah. one, uh, there, there are several universes according to the prevailing theories. And two, the computer could never do that. You know, it's it's asking too much of of this technology yeah. or something like that. I, I did find it. Um, I found it a little surprising that he ended up wanting to recruit Katie because she was a multiverse advocate. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, oh, wh- one one more thing I was going to say was the because uh, you were saying how the when they showed the the Jesus and they were trying to do the audio and all that stuff. I was, when, as audio geek, you'll appreciate this. When they finally got the audio, I was like, how close are you? What kind of mic are you using? Because right. like, the audio would vary a lot. You know? <laughs> well, that and the camera would be moving in a very cinematic way. Right. <laughs> like it wasn't a fixed camera. The camera would right. be kind of on a dolly. And I'm like, do, yeah. they, do they dial that in? Like, okay, dolly <laughs> shot on the kid. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I thought that exactly the same thing. So what was Forrest looking for? What was he hoping for? It, it seems to me like the plan all along when he approached Katie and recruited her, the plan was to basically get to the point where they could simulate things so exactly that he could have an exact replica of his daughter simulated 
And at that point, because he could have an exact replica of his daughter, he could have an exact replica of himself. Now, what did he think was going to happen? Because he didn't know at this point that he was going to die or any of that stuff. Yeah. I have no idea. Right. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of options, and I think they left it open. I think that yeah. one option is what you're saying, where it's like, I want to see my daughter grow old. You yeah. know? I want to see... I want to see you create her going old, but that didn't seem to be what he was doing. I think what he was doing because he was he he wasn't interested in the future. He wanted to look into the past. That was his main thing. He's like, we only look into the past. And I think maybe one of the things he wanted to do was he wanted to create our universe. He wanted to establish that first. You know, it's like, no, I don't want a universe. I want our universe. And then which they never did, by the way. And then we can go back in time. Sorry, wait, wait, they never did what? They never did, the computer de- never did predict their universe. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. But once that was established, then he could go back into the simulation and get off the phone earlier with his wife. Because, you know, there's the scene, the second scene that they yeah. show us that he is, he's like, he's on the phone with her and she's like, yeah, I'll, I'll see you in 30 seconds. I'm almost home. And and she and he's like, well, but stay on the phone because I, I want to talk to you. And she's like, you know how I don't like talking on the phone and driving and then crash. And yeah, so but, I think yeah. he was like wanting to go back in time and see, would they have gotten in a car accident if he had let her get off the phone? Because right. if she gets in a car accident anyway and dies anyway, or maybe she dies later that day or something, then that proves that life is on rails. Like, you can't do anything. Things are going to happen. You can't stop them from happening. Or yeah. if he made a choice in that moment, the what if, the, the what if of grief that happens so often, even in less uh, what if situations, that one was like, what if I didn't keep her on the phone? Would she not have gotten in a car accident and my little daughter and my wife would still be alive? Yeah. I found that to be just a, a perfect story plot of a obsessed uh, you know, computer uh, evil genius. It wasn't that he wanted to take over the world. It wasn't that he wanted a bunch of money. It wasn't that he wanted to live forever. He just wanted to answer the question, what if I had not kept my wife on the phone, would my daughter still be alive? That's just like such a yeah. human question. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he, it's clear that in his mind, the reason he's so gung-ho about determinism is because that would let him off the hook. Right, right. right. But... I think deep down inside he fears that it's not deterministic. Right. And yeah. and when uh Lily throws the the gun, yeah. he has an opposite like, reaction. Oh. He has right. a he has a reaction of terror. He should have the right. different he should be oh my god, I don't die today. But yeah. he has a look of utter terror. I could have saved them. Yeah. That in that moment he realizes right. I did play a role in killing yeah. my daughter. Now of course you can't blame him. I mean, it's like, I think she, the wife was going, did, the wife didn't run a red, uh, didn't She run, ran a stop sign. Oh, she did run a stop sign. Yeah. Oh. I mean, so it, it's one of these things like, well, it's both of their faults, I guess, but more, more, more the driver's fault because the driver's in charge of the car. Right. But then also like, who knows, that day she stops at the stop sign because they're not talking on the phone and then she goes when it's her turn, but the car runs, the, the other car runs, you know. Yeah. By the way, I loved those shots that they did. And those those yeah. shots, those sort of multiple universe shots, yeah. are deceptively hard to create. Do you know why? Um, 
like when she there's multiple of hers in the apartment and each one of them yeah and yeah yeah when, when i mean i imagine is falling the, yeah i imagine because the lighting consistency and the shot angle and all that stuff well the camera is moving <laughs> yeah so if you just do a static you know tripod camera shot mm-hmm. you can do composites pretty easily and they've been able to do that since the 60s pretty seem, see it's pretty saying. seamlessly yeah. This each one of those shots, the camera is, it's on a dolly. The thing is moving, yeah. you know, throughout, and it looks seamless. Especially yeah. that car accident scene, because that yeah. that's a, you know, a, like you said, the sun variance and just everything. Now I'm guessing all the cars were computers at that point, but Maybe. but the but clearly the people in the but apartment. the humans, right? You yeah. know, Lyndon falling, uh, Jamie. Uh, the Russian guy and Lily all kind of in various different positions. And I, I was like, whoa, that's actually a pretty impressive. Now, they've been able to do that shot for a long time too, but that's a very hard shot to, to create. I really liked it and very effective in terms of telling us not only setting the mood, but being interesting to look at, telling a story of like, oh, this is what these other universes would look like if that guy hadn't died. You know, there's other universes where Jamie and Lily are still together. You know, all these kinds of things that I just thought was was brilliant. Yeah. Um, to end with, what I didn't like was that everyone was very subdued and depressed. <laughs> uh, after a certain point, it, it becomes ridiculous because uh, it's essentially, you know, I get it. David Fincher does this all the time, too. He wants to create a mood, and I get it, okay. But at a certain point, you start to lose credibility because everyone has joy or at least non-depressed, subdued moments, you know? And I kind of liked it in the very last episode where they kind of joke around while they're in bed. And he's like, like, did you put the dishes in the dishwasher? And you actually see the two of them smile and laugh a little bit, which is like, whoa, I didn't know they could do that. But did that bother you, the, just the constant subdued of everyone in the show? That's a good question. I, I guess if the, if the question is, did it bother me? The answer is no. Did I notice it? Yeah, I did notice it, I guess. Um, I felt the similar vibe from uh, his other movies and things. So I think it's his style. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, yeah. The other thing that bothered me, and this bothered Stacy too, actually, was when... There, Jamie is looking at the flame animations on the burning body. And he's like, whoa, 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 wait. And he stops it and he's like, see that? They're, you know, they're two identical. Copy pasting, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're cop, you know, there's two animations there that are the same. And I was like, whoa, that, you know, good catch. And then they press play and it continues long form to be a duplicate flame animation that on the you know the level of um, computer ability that had to have gone into that whole thing you know in terms of you had to create a computer model of the guy walking on camera getting down in that position you know catching himself on fire to make such an amateur mistake of having the exact same flame animation happening at the same time you know, because if you offset it by like five seconds, you probably wouldn't catch it. But yeah. to have it going at the exact same microsecond is stupid. Now, what I was, what I would have liked it to have been was there were 
perhaps maybe two frames were offset by about three seconds yeah. where the guy's like, whoa, whoa, wait. And he like, he, you know, see that the way the flame looks, it kind of looks like a U right there. Well, fast forward three seconds, that U is created identically right. there. And that's the right. only thing we see. Yeah, that would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah. And then Lily's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, no, no, you don't understand. That doesn't happen in flames. Right. That, that's, that's an, a, you know, that's a, a quick job that was pretty good. But I know how to look for that thing, and, yeah. and, there, and that would never happen in real yeah. life. That, I know? would love that. Yeah. I, I obviously caught that. Too. Well, not that I caught it. The scene's obvious, but I mean, I thought the same thing. I was like, really? Now, the only reason I, I sort of forgave him, I'm like, I guess when they prepped this, they were thinking the only person that's going to see it is, is like Lily, and we're only going to show it quickly once. But still, like, what if the cops asked for it? I, I like there's no excuse. Like, just right. take, it would have taken like an extra ten seconds for them to like not exactly do it that way. Right. I mean, we're not talking about like After Effects from 2005. We're talking no. about we're talking about someone who was able to um, computer generate a man pouring gasoline on himself, catching himself on fire, falling down, flames going up, and you make the mistake of, you know, it's just such a, if you know, well, if you know an, anything about computer graphics, you understand that doesn't make a lot of sense. The other part that I actually got a little confused about was we, we are shown that the fire did happen. Cause like we see the shot at night with the, by the way, the big, huge, creepy girl. Yeah. <laughs> and we see that like fire goes up cause we see like her face light up and stuff like that. Yeah. And we know the body was burnt. So they must've burnt it right there. Even whether it was, dead before we yeah. know he was dead but whether he was burned before or not they burned it right there too so why were the fake flames even needed right yeah who yeah. knows who knows but it's okay <laughs> the other uh problem i had was that uh kenton when he um so so first off when lily meets the russian spy so pretty cool scene and yep. i thought that they cut to the chase pretty quick. It was a little weird that the Russian spy is like, yep, he was a Russian spy and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's it's like, wait, so you're just going to completely ruin your, you know, you're showing your face to, to an American and you're letting the American go. The American could go to the FBI and say, I just met a Russian spy, by the way. (laughs) And, and and just because what you, you kind of have feelings for this spy that died that you knew could have died in a situation, you know, Anyway, so that didn't make a lot of sense. And then the other thing was was Kenton is right around the corner watching the meet happen. Yeah. So this Russian spy who, unless he is the dumbest Russian spy that's ever lived, <laughs> he chooses to meet up with someone, reveal who he is, and then doesn't have a second spy making sure no one is watching them. You yeah, know what I mean? He's all by himself. He's all by himself. Ken- Kenton is watching the whole thing. <laughs> You could at least have had the uh, the homeless dude. Yeah, right. <laughs> Something, and uh, so that was dumb. Then um, Kenton decides I'm going to take out the Russian spy. Okay, so let's walk ourselves through that. There are other Russian spies. They could kill you back. <laughs> they yeah. are a much larger organization. You're a, it, a one man army for yeah, this dude. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, you have shown that y- you just do things by yourself. It, you you also clearly don't understand computers that well because you left your computer alone with someone, you know, and and so you're just a dude that I don't know. Anyway, so so then 
he meets up with the Russian spy in the, you know, in the parking lot and doesn't bring any backup. Like you don't, you don't bring a couple goons. You don't even bring a gun. Like what did you think was going to happen? Then the Russian spy, you know, then they try to kill each other. <laughs> Neither one of them, the, between the two of them, they have a knife. I can't remember which one of them had a knife. I think the Russian spy did or something. Yeah, the Russian pulls out a knife and stabs him. And he did stab him in the stomach. Right. And I'm like, uh, this is the problem that I had with Drive. You know, people love Drive, right? With, um, yep. what's his face? And I could not get away from the scenes because there's, you know, some pretty violent scenes that could have been believable if the bad guys or the good guys brought some goons with them. <laughs> you know, yeah. who, who goes to a fight by themselves with a knife? Like, it, you at least bring a gun. And two, you bring goons. Why do you... Anyway, I just... Like, Kirk, you know how hard it is to get a gun in this country? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At this point, it's like, it takes effort not to have a gun in your house. Yeah. All right, Birdo, final word on devs. I really enjoyed it. It made me think of a lot of things. It actually rekindled a lot of interest I have in quantum computers and all that stuff. So I went on a on a binge of watching lectures and things. I, I'm excited about it. I actually want to keep going with it. Um, and it definitely asks some very important, or I don't know if they're important, but they're very interesting questions about us and reality and things. Uh, visually, I, like I said, I, especially considering it's a TV show, and I realize TV shows have now like raised the bar, but it was just that it looks so beautiful. Yeah, yeah, so, so yeah. good. Yeah, I, totally you know, good. they've really just nailed their cinematography, music, yeah, uh, lighting after you know the color correction after. I mean, they are just masters of it. You know, I, actually, I wonder how long it will be before we're watching television series in theaters. Because I sat there thinking, I would pay to see this in the big screen. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Uh, the last thing I'll say is, Lily, you have seen her before in another movie. Do you know what? Well, I've, I've, I heard. Wasn't she also in Ex Machina? Uh, she was. She but, played, a, but, played a small role or something. But she played a more noticeable role in another movie. Do you know what it was? Oh, really? Okay, I don't know. It's the, mo- it's the weirdest thing. You've got to Google it. She was in La La Land. What? And do, do you remember the scene where Emma Stone goes out in the town and it's like this raucous, she's with three friends uh-huh. and they get dressed and they're like, yay, we're four ladies and we're yeah, dancing yeah. and singing. And she was one of them? She was one of the ladies. No way. <laughs> it, 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 cause That's in this, crazy. in devs, she is so subdued and so specific and right. short hair and awkward and nerdy in La La Land. She's this, Flashy, long-haired, beautiful, dancing, singing. She has solos where she sings. Um, she's also British. She's also not oh. American. Remember when we talked about? I'm thinking of That's ending why things. She talks a little bit funny. Did did she talk a little funny? <laughs> to me, I I thought that it was more like because she was Chinese American or something. But she's actually I like thought- me. She's half Japanese, and I think she's, you know, like. Not, I, I'm guessing her grandparents or great grandparents emigrated as well. I, to me, to me, her cadence—I don't know if it was the direction or because she's British—it sounded a little interesting, like a little not normal. Interesting, yeah. Well, yeah. so, uh, <laughs> in I'm thinking about of any things, I was bothered throughout with that woman's 
mm-hmm. attempt to grapple with the American accent. <laughs> Lily, I didn't notice. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I didn't notice the one in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for that long a episode in which we nerded out about things that I'm guessing none of y'all care about. But let's have a secret phrase at the end, a phrase that pays. And if you comment below with this phrase, it will mean that you are one of the special few who managed to get through to the whole, the entire end of this almost two-hour episode. Berto, what is the phrase that pays? Serendipity starts with the letter S. And everyone out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it.